0: Hello, my darling, and welcome to today's story time. Please remember to like, comment,
1: and subscribe. And now,
0: on with our story time. As was natural, the Arkham Papers made much of the incident with its collegiate sponsoring and sent reporters to talk with Naum Gardner and his family. At least one, Boston Daly, also sent a scribe, and Naum quickly became a kind of local celebrity. He was a lean, genial person of about 50, living with his wife and three sons on the pleasant farmstead in the valley. He and Ami exchanged visits frequently, as did their wives, and Ami had nothing but praise for him, after all of these years, he seemed slightly proud of the notice his place had attracted, and talked often of the meteorite, that July and August were hot, and now worked hard at haying in the ten-acre pasture across Chapman's Brook. His rattling, wain wearing deep ruts in the shadowy lanes between Labor tired him more than it had in other years, and he felt that age was beginning to tell on him. Then fell the time of fruit and harvest. The pears and apples slowly ripened, and now him vowed that his orchards were prospering as never before. The fruit was growing to phenomenal size, an unwonted gloss, and in such abundance that extra barrels were ordered to handle the future crop. But with the ripening came sore disappointment, for all that gorgeous hooray of lusciousness was not one single jolt that was fit to eat. Into the fine flavor of the pears and apples had crept a stealthy bitterness and sickishness, so that even the smallest of bites induced a lasting disgust. It was the same with the melons and tomatoes, and Naum sadly saw that his entire crop was lost. Quick to connect events, he declared that the meteorite had poisoned the soil, and thanked heaven that most of the other crops were in the upland lot along the road. Winter came early and was very cold. Omie saw Naum less often than usual, and observed that he had begun to look worried. The rest of his family too, seemed to have grown taciturn, and were far from steady in their church going, or their attendance at the various social events of the countryside. For this reserve or melancholy, no cause could be found, though all the household now confessed to poorer health and a feeling of vague disquiet. Now him himself gave the most definite statement. He said he was disturbed about certain footprints in the snow. They were the usual winter prints of red squirrels, white rabbits, and foxes. But the brooding farmer professed to see something not quite right about their nature and arrangement. He was never specific, but appeared to think that they were not as characteristic of the anatomy and habits of squirrels and rabbits and boxes, as they ought to be. Omi listened without interest to his talk until one night when he drove past Naum's house in his sleigh on the way back from Clark's Corners. There had been a moon, and a rabbit had run across the road, and the leaps of that rabbit were longer than either Omie or his horse liked. The latter, indeed, had almost run away when he brought up by a firm rein. Thereafter, Mommy gave Naum's tales more respect, and wondered why the gardener dogs seemed so cowed and quivering every morning. They had, it developed, nearly lost the spirit to bark. In February, the McGregor boys from Meadow Hill were out shooting woodchucks, and not far from the gardener place bagged a very peculiar specimen. The proportions of its body seemed slightly altered in a strange way, impossible to describe. Its face had taken on an expression which no one had ever seen in a woodchuck before. The boys were genuinely frightened and threw the thing away at once, so that only their grotesque tales of it ever reached the people of the countryside. But the shying of the horses near Naum's house, had now become an acknowledged thing, and all the basis for a cycle of whispered legend was fast taking form. People vowed that the snow melted faster around Naums than it did anywhere else, and early in March, there was an odd discussion in Potter's General Store at Clerk's Corners. Stephen Rice had driven past gardeners in the morning and had noticed that the skunk cabbages coming up through the mud, by the woods across the road, were huge. Never were things of such size seen before, and they held strange colors that could not be put into words. Their shapes were monstrous, and the horse had snorted at an odor which struck Stephen as wholly unprecedented. That afternoon, several people drove past to see the abnormal growth, and all agreed that plants of that kind ought never to sprout in a healthy world. The bad fruit of the fall was freely mentioned, and it went from mouth to mouth that there was poison in Naum's ground. Of course, it was the meteorite, and remembering how strange the men from the college had found that stone to be, several farmers spoke about the matter to them. One day they paid Naum a visit, but having no love of wild tales and folklore were very conservative in what they inferred. The plants were certainly odd, but all skunk cabbages are more or less odd in shape and odor and hue. Perhaps some mineral element from the stone had entered the soil, but it would soon be washed away. But as for the footprints and frightened horses, of course this was merely country talk, which such a phenomenon as the meteorite would be certain to start. There was really nothing for serious men to do in cases of wild gossip, for superstitious rustics will say and believe anything. And so all through the strange days, the professor stayed away in contempt, Only one of them, when given two files of dust for analysis in a police job over a year and a half later, recalled that the strange color of that skunk cabbage had been very like one of the anomalous bands of light shown by the meteorite fragment in the college spectroscope, and like the brittle globule found embedded in the stone from the abyss. The samples in this analysis case of the same odd bands at first, though they later lost that property. The trees budded prematurely around Naum's, and at night they swayed ominously in the wind. Naum's second son, Thaddeus, a lad of fifteen, swore that they swayed also when there was no wind, but even the gossips would not credit this. Certainly, however— Restlessness was in the air. The entire Gardner family developed the habit of stealthy listening, though not for any sound which they could consciously name. The listening was, indeed, rather a product of moments when consciousness seemed to have to slip away. Unfortunately, such moments increased week by week until it became common speech that something was wrong with all of Naum's family. When the early sacrifage came out, it had another strange color. Not quite like that of the skunk cabbage, but plainly related and equally unknown to anyone who saw it. Naum took some blossoms to Arkham and showed them to the editor of the Gazette, but that dignitary did no more than write a humorous article about them, in which the dark fears of rustics were held up to polite ridicule. It was a mistake of Naum's to tell a stolid city man about the way the great, overgrown morning cloak butterflies behaved.
1: But he told them anyway. Hippo
0: brought kind of a madness to the country folk began that disuse of the road past Naums, which led to its ultimate abandonment.
1: It was the vegetation. All the
0: orchard trees blossomed forth in strange colors, and through the stony soil of the yard, an adjacent pasture edge, there sprang up a bizarre growth, which only a botanist could connect with the proper flora of the region. No sane, wholesome colors were anywhere, except in the green grass and leafage. But everywhere, those hectic and prismatic variants of some diseased, underlying, primary tone, without a place among the known tints of earth, existed. The Dutchman's breeches became a thing of sinister menace the blood-roots grew insolent in their chromatic perversion. Mommy and the gardeners thought that most of the colors had a sort of haunting familiarity, and decided that they reminded one of the brittle globule in the meteor. Now plowed and sowed the ten-acre pasture and the upland lot, but he did nothing with the land around the house. He knew it would be of no use, and hoped that the summer's strange growths would draw all the poison from the soil. He was prepared for almost anything now, and had grown used to the sense of something near him waiting to be heard. The shunning of his house by neighbors told on him, of course, but it told on his wife more. The boys were better off being at school every day, but they could not help being frightened by the gossip. Thaddeus, an especially sensitive youth, suffered the most. In May, the insects came, and Naum's place became a nightmare of buzzing and crawling. Most of the creatures seemed not quite usual in their aspects and motions, and their nocturnal habits contradicted all former experience gardeners took to watching at night, watching in all directions at random for something they could not tell what. It was then that they all owned that Thaddeus had been right about the trees. Mrs. Gardner was the next to see it from the window as she watched. The swollen boughs of the maple tree were high against the moonlit sky. The boughs surely moved, and there was no wind. It must be the sap. Strangeness had come into everything growing now, yet it was none of Naum's family at all who made the next discovery. Familiarity had dulled them, and what they could not see was glimpsed by a timid windmill salesman from Bolton. He drove by one night, in ignorance of the country legends.
1: What he told in Arkham was given a short paragraph
0: in the Gazette, and it was there that all the farmers, Nowam included, saw it first. The night had been dark, and the buggy lamps faint, but around a farm in the valley which everyone knew from the account must be Naum's. The darkness had been less thick, A dim, though distinct, luminosity seemed to inhere in all the vegetation, grass, leaves, and blossoms alike. At one moment, a detached piece of the phosphorescence appeared to stir furtively in the yard near the barn. The grass had so far seemed untouched, and the cows were freely pastured in the lot near the house. But toward the end of May, the milk began to go bad. Then Naum had the cows driven to the uplands, after which the trouble ceased. Not long after, the change in grass and leaves became apparent to the eye. All oh, the verdure was going grey, and was developing a highly singular quality of bitterness. Mommy was now the only person who ever visited the place and his visits were becoming fewer and fewer. When school closed, the gardeners were virtually cut off from the world, and sometimes they let me do their errands and down. They were failing, curiously, both physically and mentally, and no one was surprised when the news of Mrs. Gardner's madness began to be pantied around. It happened in June, about the anniversary of the meteor's fall, and the boar woman screamed about things in the air which she could not describe. In her raving, there was not a single specific noun, only verbs and pronouns. Things moved and changed and fluttered,
1: and ears tingled to impulses which were not wholly sounds. Something was taken away, she
0: was being drained of something. Something was fastening itself on her that ought not to be. Someone must make it keep off.
1: Nothing was ever still in the night. The
0: walls and windows shifted. Naum did not send her to the country asylum, Would let her wander around the house as long as she was harmless. Even when her expression changed, He did nothing.
1: But when the boys grew afraid of her,
0: and Thaddeus nearly fainted at the way she made faces at him, he decided to keep her locked in the attic. By July, she had ceased to speak and crawled on all fours. And before that month was over, Helm got the mad notion that she was slightly luminous in the dark. As he now clearly saw, was the case with all of the nearby vegetation. It was a little before this that the horses had stampeded. Something had aroused them in the night, and their neighing and kicking in their stalls had been terrible. There seemed virtually nothing to do to calm them.
1: And when Naum opened the stable door, they all
0: bolted out like frightened woodland deer. It took a week to track all four. And when found, they were quite useless and unmanageable. Something had snapped in their brains, and each one had to be shot for its own good. Now borrowed a horse from Mommy for his hang. But he found it would not approach the barn. It shied, it balked, and it whinnied. And in the end he could do nothing to drive it into the yard, while the men used their own strength to get the heavy wagon gear near enough to hayloft for convenient pitching, and all the while the vegetation was turning gray and brittle. Even the flowers, whose hues had been so strange, were graying now, and the fruit was coming out gray, and dwarfed, and tasteless. The asters and goldenrod bloomed gray and distorted, and the roses and zinnias and hollyhocks in the front yard were such blasphemous-looking things that Naum's oldest boy, Zenus, cut them down. The strangely puffed insects died about that time. Even the bees that had left their hives had taken to the woods. By September all the vegetation was fast crumbling to a grayish powder. Naum began to fear that the trees would die before the poison was out of the soil. His wife now had spells of terrific screaming, and he and the boys were in a constant state of nervous tension. They shunned people now, and when school reopened, the boys did not go. But it was all me. On one of his rare visits, who first realized that the well water was no longer good. It had an evil taste, that was not exactly bitter, nor exactly salty. But Ami advised his friend to dig another well on higher ground, and till the soil, and make sure it was good again. Now, however, ignored the warning he had by that time become callous to strange and unpleasant things. He and the boys continued to use the tainted supply, drinking it as listlessly and mechanically as they ate their meager and ill-cooked meals and did their thankless and monotonous chores through the aimless days. There was something of stolid resignation about them all, as if they had walked half in another world between lines of nameless guards to a certain and familiar doom. Thaddeus went mad in September after a visit to the well. He had gone with a bale, and had come back empty-handed, shrieking and waving his arms, and sometimes he lapsed into an inane titter or a whisper about the moving colors down there. Two-in-one family was pretty bad, but Naum was very brave about that. He let the boy run about for a week, until he began stumbling and hurting himself, and then he shut him in the attic room across the hall from his mother. The way they screamed at each other from behind their locked doors was very terrible, especially to little Merwin, who fancied they talked in some terrible language that was not of this earth. Merwin was getting frightfully imaginative, and his restlessness was worse after the shutting away of the brother, who had been his greatest playmate. Almost at the same time, the mortality among the livestock commenced. Poultry turned grayish and died very quickly, their meat being found dry and noisome upon cutting. Hogs grew inordinately fat, then suddenly began to undergo loathsome changes which no one could explain. Their meat was of course useless, and Naum was at his wit's end. No rural veterinary would approach his place, and the city veterinary from Arkham was openly baffled. The swine began growing grey and brittle falling into pieces before they died, and their eyes and muzzles developed singular alterations. It was very inexplicable, for they had never been fed from the tainted vegetation. Then something struck the cows. Certain areas, or sometimes the whole body, would be uncannily shriveled or compressed, and atrocious collapses and disintegrations were common in the last stages, and death was always the result. There would be a graying and turning brittle, like that which had beset the hogs. There could be no question of poison, for all the cases occurred in a locked and undisturbed barn. When the harvest came, there was not an animal surviving on the place, for the stock and poultry were dead, and the dogs had run away. The five cats had left some time before, but their going was scarcely noticed, since now there seemed to be no mice, and only Mrs. Gardner had made pets of the graceful feline. And this, my darling, ends our story time for today. As always, have very sweet
1: and creepy dreams. Good night.